Today's episode of Peers to Peers is powered by Shopify, the leading global commerce company that's shaping today's entrepreneurial economy. What started as three mates in a coffee shop trying to sell a snowboard has ended in thousands of employees around the world, bringing over 1.7 million businesses to life. You could say Shopify is a peer to us and entrepreneurs around the world. So peers, if you're looking to start your own business, head to shopify.com.au for your 14-day free trial. Hello, peers, and welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Akidinol, founder of Leading Australian Podcast Agency and 2021 Australian Podcast Awards finalists, The Peers Project, and your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite an inspiring millennial entrepreneur from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer-to-peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way, pursue your passion, and why there's really nothing better. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. What did your folks say when you told them the traditional career path wasn't for you? Maybe you dropped out of university. Maybe you had to ask them for money. Maybe you're still in the closet. The risk associated with taking the path less travelled can scare those who care for us. But in the case of this week's guest, whose parents had both experimented with entrepreneurship, her ventures were supported from an early age. And it was this support that allowed Lacey Kailani to develop a seriously impressive set of skills as a leader, an innovator, and a pioneer in the Web3 space. Her latest venture, Meta Intro, a digital resume wallet for Web3, has secured $5.6 million in funding. Pretty impressive. Today, Lacey joins the podcast to share some of the lessons she's not only learnt firsthand, but used to build her ventures, from the importance of respecting your inner voice above all else, the reality of selling a startup and the difficulties of growing in the Web3 space, Lacey has fully experienced what it means to be an entrepreneur. Before we dive in, peers, I want to remind you to please share this episode. Take a screenshot right now, post it on your Instagram story and tag us at The Peers Project so that together we can share today's message and conversation with our peers out there who may just need to hear it. Okay, without further ado, welcome Lacey. Lacey, welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. We're so excited to have you on the show today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Of course. So, you know, you and I recently connected and when I looked into you and all of the amazing work you're doing in the Web3 HR tech space, I knew I had to have you come on the show. So I really appreciate you taking the time. I'm excited that we were able to connect. Amazing. Look, so those of us who don't know who you are and what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself. 
I don't even know what I do some days. Yeah. <laughs> Who uh, knows? I know. It depends on what time of the day you ask me and on what day of the week. And, you know, my hats are always changing. But for those of you that haven't met me before, my name is Lacey. I'm the co-founder of Meta Intro. Meta Intro is a professional resume wallet for Web3. And I will stop there because either that's when I get the glaze over your eyes or you're like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. Tell me more. Well, I'm definitely the second. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. Tell me more. (laughs) (laughs) No, I can't wait to dive deeper into your business. And even when I was saying that, you know, Web3 HR tech, like, wow, you know, it's a mouthful in of itself. But I can't wait to dive deeper into kind of, you know, how you got to doing what you're doing and what it's all about. But before we do... I'd love to start with a question that I've often found to be very insightful and revealing, and that is, where did you grow up and how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far? I'm from Santa Barbara, which is a small beach town in California, and both of my parents, well, now they live abroad, but for pretty much my entire like teenage and adult life, they've lived abroad. They were also business owners, I think that had more of an impact on me now as an entrepreneur, more so than like growing up in Santa Barbara. We love that. What businesses did your parents do? Many businesses over the years, but my mom was always in the real estate business. She had her own mortgage brokerage company and my dad owned a coffee shop growing up. So different sides, but small business owners at the end of the day. I love that. And I think it's so fascinating, you know, when we think back to how does it affect our mindset when we were growing up or, you know, where we're at now and what we choose to do with, you know, our businesses and even more so just our life. You know, for you, what was the greatest lesson that your parents taught you growing up? Two things that my parents have taught me. I was just laughing with my mom about this the other day because I was also asked this question recently when I was chatting with somebody else and my mom was like, what did you say? And I, and I was like, either this is going to be super offensive or you're going to love it because it's honest. And I said, something that I learned from my mom is that everything's always temporary. And that's something good to just remember when things are not going so great, whether that's in your personal or professional paths. Also when stuff is going really good, it reminds you to embrace all of the good stuff that's around you and to stop and smell the roses. And so I think that saying has stuck with me. And then on my dad's side, I think entrepreneurship comes in many forms. And my dad has had his hands in many things over the years. Most recently, he lives in Suriname, which is a Dutch country in South America. And most recently over the summer, he decided he wanted to start a farm in his backyard and sell all of the things that he was growing at the local bodega. And that was, yeah, as you do in the middle of the rainforest. And my dad, you know, he, he has an actual business, but, you know, he called me on the weekend and he was like, I think I'm good. I can make money off of my farm if I sell enough peanuts. And sure enough, he did. And so that's been a theme over the past 28 years is entrepreneurship comes in many forms. What was your first ever business? You know, were you the kind of kid that had all these businesses or not really? You got into it way into your 20s. You know, what were you like growing up? And if you did have a business, what was it? I did have many businesses. My intro was not my first startup. My first startup was in first grade and I sold 
those cool looking erasers. I don't know if you remember those from like the 90s, but they came in all different shapes and forms. And like, you can get like food ones, you can get like animal ones. And that was all the rage in first grade. And so I sold those. And I had many businesses throughout high school, college, and so on. So again, entrepreneurship comes in many forms. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I think sometimes, you know, our peers out there listening might be thinking, oh, it makes so much sense. You know, Lacey knew what she wanted to do by grade one. You know, how was she so lucky? And then she just became an entrepreneur and then she was successful. You know, for you, I know I shake my head too, don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) It's never linear, but I'd love to unpack a little bit around, you know, what your teenage years were like heading into college. Did you have an idea of this is what I want to do and this is who I want to be? Or was it a bit of a gray area? And if so, for you at that time, how did you navigate through that? Yeah, something I don't think I've ever talked about on a podcast before. I was emancipated, which means I like became an adult when I was 15. And when that happens, it means you are legally responsible for yourself. And so I always knew that I wanted to grow up fast. And what that meant to like Lacey at 15, you know, meant different things. But looking back at it at the time, I knew that I wanted to grow up. I knew that I wanted to do something cool and do something big. And at the time, I thought it was in music. And so I went down that whole path, realized that music business was actually interesting. And I think that was the first like pivot out of the mini pivots that you do as you go to college. (laughs) That I realized, hey, I actually like the business side of things a little bit more versus the creative. And that's eventually what allowed me to stumble down other things, other topics within business and eventually entrepreneurship. Wow, that is incredible. I so appreciate you sharing that with us, that you were emancipated and then you went down the music path. I mean, super cool. I guess during that time, I can only imagine, you know, how tough that time must have been for you, especially at only 15 and you're still trying to figure out who you are and what the world is about. I mean, I'm still trying to figure that out at 28, you know, like (laughs) I can't imagine, (laughs) you know, if you feel comfortable sharing, you know, where was your head at at that time, you know, when you had that separation from your parents and where was that desire to do and be on your own and to go and create? Where did that come from for you? Shocker. I'm an only child. So only child syndrome is a thing. (laughs) And so I think being an only child, I didn't have a lot of cousins that lived around me. So I was always with adults. And then on top of it, I eventually became emancipated. My parents are entrepreneurs. I want to grow up. I want to do cool stuff. I think that was just kind of like looking back at it, just a blend of Lacey trying to find herself and Lacey trying to do something big that's abnormal. And all of those things, as you put them together, are abnormal things from a teenager. All of that's to say, I think I always knew that I just wanted to do something cool and that has harnessed and come in all different shapes and forms over the years. For our peers out there listening who maybe have that same inkling, you know, they're like, oh, I just want to do something cool. I want to, you know, <laughs> no. I want to make it happen. But maybe they feel really stuck and, you know, maybe they're in a job that they don't like or a career path or whatever it may be or at studying and something that it just doesn't resonate with them. 
what advice would you give to us around navigating through the messy as we come to know ourselves and the path that we really want to be on? I'm totally going to butcher this, but I was scrolling through TikTok as a millennial does uh, before you go to sleep. And there was one TikTok that I came across where they were talking about a similar topic of like, why do people go work nine to fives that they're unhappy with? And the message of the TikTok was that it's like the easy thing to do instead of pursuing what you're super passionate about, which for most people comes in the form of like a hobby. And that's why we get excited about our hobbies versus our work. And when I talk to other aspiring entrepreneurs who want to start their own thing or want to do something different or don't necessarily want to work a nine to five or just want to like be happy doing something different in life. The first thing I say is like focus on your hobbies. We all have hobbies. We all have passions. We all have curiosities. And like I can almost guarantee you that you'll be more happy doing those things and finding a way to do those full time than you would working for somebody else or working a nine to five can be so scary though Lacey it can so scary scary. you know to be like you know it can be so overwhelming you know for you when you had your music stint and you were like maybe I'm following this curiosity at what point did you figure out that that wasn't for you and how did you make that transition and that shift into what you did next yeah so I ended up getting an internship that was like a pivotal internship within my career early on, which led to a big girl career. And despite it turning into a big girl career, it wasn't something that I was super passionate about. And what made me jump into entrepreneurship again was when I called my mom and I said, I'm so unhappy with what I'm doing. I remember like hiding in the hallway and I'm like talking to her. I'm like, I'm so unhappy. I don't know what to do. I don't know what hobbies I should be going after. I don't know if I left my nine to five, what that would look like. And my mom, being an entrepreneur, sits there for 20 minutes and is like, here are 50 business ideas you could start tomorrow. She's that to me. And that conversation, I think, was the starting point of what led into my startup journey. For those of us who don't have as cool of a mom as you, who, you know, he was throwing at business ideas and being like, leave your nine to five, girl, you're better, you know. (laughs) For those of us who don't have that and, you know, our parents are actually more on the conservative and like, you know, make sure you're secure and and make sure you're going to be okay. And perhaps we don't have that support. You know, what would be your advice and I guess guidance on building that support network for ourselves? That's a good question. I'm very lucky that I have parents that have always supported me in all of the crazy high risk things (laughs) that I've wanted to do. It's tough for me to give advice to something like that because I can't necessarily relate to a scenario where my parents are conservative or the people I've surrounded myself with don't push me to take risks constantly. I think that's something, if you're going to break out of it, has to come from within And you're going to have to normalize within yourself, listening to your voice over the voices that are around you. But again, that's like so easy for me to say just looking in because I've never been in that scenario where the people around me aren't like, yes, Lacey, go to China tomorrow. It's totally fine. (laughs) (laughs) Go start that business with like $20 in your bank account. Yeah. So I'm lucky in that sense. 
what has been one of your greatest challenges diving into these businesses and taking this journey? Starting. You know, you have all of these ideas that you throw onto a whiteboard when you go to build a startup. You're like, I have this idea, I have that idea. This is how it could work. This is how we can go raise money. This is how we can charge customers. That's easy relatively to do in comparison to what the journey is. The hardest part is then taking all of that stuff off of the whiteboard. Now that I've done that twice, taking that and turning it into a product, that process the gap between whiteboard to product in somebody's hand is a very, very hard thing to do. And that's where most people drop off because they realize, oh my gosh, it's so hard to do. And I think that's been a consistent blocker in my startup career. But that's natural to say, I think for entrepreneurs, it's like, I have this great idea, then what? How do we push through when we get to the then what and things become really hard? Like, how do we keep going? Yeah. You have to want to. I very strongly believe that we make time and we make things happen that we want to have happen. We make time for the things that we want. And so cheesy as it sounds, if you want to make it happen as an entrepreneur, 10 times out of 10, you'll figure out a way to make it happen. So, so true. I want to dive into your first venture. I think it was called Casting Depot that you started in 2019, right before the pandemic, which you sold in, I think it was last year. Massive. You know, you really took a startup from launching all the way through to scale and then sold within three years. You know, I'd love to understand and learn a little bit about what your greatest learnings from that first real hustle and business was for you. There were many hurdles that came with building Casting Depot, (laughs) as does like your first venture-backed startup. You run as a first-time entrepreneur. All you're doing all day long is running headfirst into the wall. That literally goes across the board. That's like to figuring out who, who your first customer is, to like building the product and like how fast you're building the product and iterating then to like investors to, you know, investor quarterly, like updates and stuff like that. Hiring, all you're doing is like running into the wall and trying to figure it out. You're assembling a plane on the way down after you've jumped off a cliff. That's what building a startup feels like. Very true. Unfortunately for Casting Depot, we didn't assemble the plane fast enough. So we definitely, we had a safe landing We ended up selling, but, you know, looking at my two startups, both Casting Depot and now Meta Intro, I have a lot of experience under my belt to build faster, better, in a smarter way. But I've also seen the difference in what it's like to see early signs of product market fit within a startup versus not. And as a first-time founder, you're like, oh yeah, I have 10 customers. I found product market fit. Nobody's paying though. It's totally okay. But like, there's people coming versus like, holy cow, there were a hundred people that signed up in the past hour. I have no idea how I'm going to get back to everybody. Investors are in my inbox. You see the difference. And I didn't realize there was a big difference. And all of this is to say, summed up nicely in a bow. I learned a lot from Casting Depot, which has allowed me to be, in hindsight, more successful with Meta Intro. I think it's so interesting when they say something like, after you've started your first business, everything starts to make sense. You know, I'm sure so many founders listening in are onto their first and they're just hustling. You know, for you, I think something that could be tough, though, is that 
once you've been through the pain of starting something, the thought of starting again, at least for me, I'm almost like I catch my breath. You know, did that ever come up for you when you were thinking about launching your Matentro? Did that ever come up for you? And if so, how did you navigate through that pushback? Yeah. Most people in startup world do not talk about what it's like to sell a startup and sell a startup from a point of I have to sell versus everybody wants to buy me. And there's a big difference between the two. It's kind of like fundraising, but fundraising saying you're going to get a great product in return. You're not going to necessarily get capital in return. It's like a very unsexy version of fundraising. And when we decided to go through the sale process, something I also don't talk about a lot is the time frame in which all of that happened because it was so awful. It was something that like now I can totally talk about because it's behind me. And I saw what getting up, dusting myself off and building another startup could look like. But if you had talked to me a year and a half ago, I would have been devastated in bed. I never want to build another startup again, but I can't go work a nine to five. Like, what do I do? You know, I have my dad on one line saying, Lacey, I think you need to go get a job to like, you know, all of these users that are upset because I can't service them. And like, all I want to do is stay in bed. And I was very lucky. I did have an advisor at the time who met with me every week, coached me through the sale process. And at the time he was the one that was like, Lacey, if you don't get out of bed, I will fly to come get you to bring you out of bed because nobody's going to sell your business and you have an opportunity here to shape the narrative. And it's better to be able to say, hey, this didn't work, but I parked it somewhere with a company where it could work versus like I gave up. And so I did not give up. We parked it with a company where the product is better served. And almost immediately I sat up, I said, all right, (laughs) Lacey, what are you doing next? And so that was the birth-ish, very roughly, of that intro. How do we get back up when we feel like we have nothing left to give, but we know we have to? Yeah, it happens. We all have different motivators of why that happens and how that can happen for us. I think the fear of having to go work a nine to five was enough. Oh, I hear you. (laughs) Doesn't matter how many months we have left of runway. It's like, that is not an option. Yeah. Yeah. So let's dive into the explosion that was Metatro. So 2022 rolls around. You've done the sell-off. You're like, oh my goodness, I can't even handle this. And all of a sudden you come up with this new idea, this new business. Talk to us about where the idea for Matendra came about, like how it came about and what those first few steps that you took to really get it off the ground. Yeah. So my CTO sent me one of Matt Ball's first essays on the metaverse. And if you've ever had a chance to read the series of essays, you know. If you haven't, you have to go read them. Matt Ball summed up is this kooky, crazy guy that knows a lot of cool shit about the metaverse and makes really good predictions. And when you read this set of articles, you'll feel like you stepped into this dystopian world that makes sense and is very tangible. 
And after reading that, I bought my first NFT. I hopped into a party in Decentraland. I went to Sotheby's on Decentraland. I went to a skateboarding park on Roblox. I went into Discord and joined in some groups. And thinking about that weekend, and then at the time thinking about what am I going to do next? If you're ever going to build a startup, you got to build something that you know. You got to build in a field that you know. And so I thought, okay, what do I know? What am I super passionate about? And what could be the future of it? And that's kind of how the ideas behind what Meta Intro could be started to form. So we came up with a few different ideas. And then I said, okay, well, I know I want to be venture backed. Soft pitch a few different VCs, a few different pitches, all different. Let me see what the reaction is. So I did a few different pitches of like, maybe like an anonymous job marketplace, maybe a job marketplace that uses AI to do blah, blah, blah. And then to one VC I go, a resume wallet. And his eyes lit up. And I'll never forget that because I feel like VCs often have really good poker faces. And this guy just like, he was like, yes, I see exactly what you were talking about. How does it work? And I was like, I don't know. I'll be right back. And so with Web3 products, it's important to build a community first. And so I knew I wanted to build a resume wallet, but I had to build a community before building that, which is kind of like a little bit backwards to building a Web2 product. You build the product and then you build the community. So built the Discord. The Discord essentially blew up overnight and went out to go get some grant funding. We ended up getting grants from Nir and Ave. Assembled my team loosely, which was my co-founder from my previous startup, Brad. Brought him on again as CTO, said, I actually think we can get some really good funding for this, given the community, given the idea, given the market. And then within three months, we raised our grants, our pre-seed and our seed round. So as of September this past year, we raised 5.6. So it's been a good year. Wow. Isn't it so interesting? They often say on the brink of failure is success. And it's almost like that business, you had to sell it off, let it go. and it had then to die. Had to die. And then within a couple of months, that is incredible. Wow. What would you say post the raise has been one of your greatest learnings? That's a good question. The best learning that I've had since raising, hiring, even given that we are an HR product, hiring is really hard to do, especially in Web3. And I'm really lucky. We built a team of nine really talented individuals, but that took time. It probably took us about three months to hire, and we hired from the community, which was an awesome thing to be able to do. But validating skills, validating references, making sure that there's a company culture fit, whatever that means at like an early stage startup, right? Negotiating salaries, negotiating contracts. That was all a really big learning curve for me. I've hired, obviously I was a recruiter in the past and I've hired, but doing it for your own company with the capital that you have worked hard to raise, you look at dollars differently. And so the hiring decisions that I made were directly impacted by like all of these background noises. And so that was a really big lesson is like, how do I hire the best team that's going to 
take my product from zero to one. It's so, so true. They often say that people, whether they be team, customers, whoever they may be, they're the backbone of any business, really. I'm currently navigating through the struggle of hiring as a bootstrapped business as well. So that's always a fun time, but I really resonate with that. Oh, Lacey. Oh my goodness. We've covered so much ground. I am mindful of your time. And so I've got a couple of kind of key final questions for you. And the first one is throughout this journey, what has been your greatest failure and win to date? I look at my greatest failure as Casting Depot. I mean, massive success still. We had paying customers at one point, but we had a lot of happy individuals. We were venture-backed. We sold. We employed people. We gave people job opportunities. Like That's all very much a success, but we didn't win. And because we didn't win, it's a failure in my book. So that was the biggest failure to date, but it's okay to talk about the failures. It's okay to embrace it. As long as we're walking away, learning something, like I've learned a lot from that failure. I think it's just so refreshing to discuss this type of thing. I think so much of the time we shy away and we have all the glossy, oh, and this is what I'm doing. At the end of the day, it's like failure builds success. So I just love your vulnerability there and I so appreciate it. And I know our peers out there listening do too. What has been your greatest win? Greatest win outside of the raise. That was a massive win. That is a considerable seed round and it happened so quickly. And I have two really big wins to share. First win was when I had the opportunity to read the investment memo that went out to the people that invested in the seed round. The investment memo was glowing about Meta Intro, the potential for it to become a unicorn one day. That was like the highlight of my career to date. Reading somebody's thoughts, willing to turn around to everyone and say, like, this is a 10-page essay on why I'm backing this team and this concept. That was a massive win. And then when right after that was getting Forbes 30 under 30 for consumer tech, that was awesome. Just given like my year and everything that had happened right before that, I also had like three major knee surgeries and between January and June and couldn't walk for six months. So like it was a crazy 2022. So ending the year with that was also a really big win. Oh, and just so well deserved. I appreciate that. Of course. Over the last over four years in business now, you've really gone from strength to strength. You've received so much recognition for your work. And as you just mentioned, the reason why you and I connected is because we found you on the Forbes 30 under 30 list. What are three key pieces of advice that you would give our peers out there listening that you wish you got when you were just starting out? If everybody thinks your idea is crazy, it's probably worth pursuing. I got a lot of people with Casting Depot that said, Lacey, stop what you're doing. I was like, no. (laughs) Try and make me. (laughs) No. (laughs) Second piece of advice, embrace the risk. I think that goes along with the first. If you love risk, start a world is probably for you. If you learn to embrace it and love it, being an entrepreneur will come naturally. And then third, take care of your body. I know that every millennial says that. (laughs) Work-life balance, you know, the whole thing. But when you are on that startup journey, your personal health is so directly correlated with the quality of your work. 
and you are setting an example for the people around you and your team. And if you're not taking care of yourself, your body, however that looks for you, it's going to impact everything you do. And so for me personally, I put my soul cycle classes, my workouts, I put all of that like at the forefront of my week and I schedule my work week around it because that's super important to me. And so I encourage others to do the same. Such valuable advice. Oh, Lacey, look, before I ask you the final question, we've had a blast. This has been so, so great. I just want to take a moment to acknowledge you for the incredible work you've done and that you're doing, you know, for showing us and particularly us, you know, young, ambitious women that if we have this vision, this goal and this dream and we want to make it on our own, we can. It's not impossible even though it may be really tough. So for that, we really appreciate you. Thank you. Women entrepreneurs, there are no glass ceilings anymore. No glass ceilings. So the final question is how we finish every episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. And that is, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? The value of what I'm pursuing, I'm most passionate about. Can I be honest? Building cool shit is probably the biggest value. And that, of course, means to the people, you know, that I'm building for, the investors I'm building alongside with, building cool shit at the end of the day. That's my value. I love it. Oh, Lacey, (laughs) it has been so, so awesome. Thank you so much for your time, for your wisdom, for your insights. Where can we learn more about you and all of the cool shit that you're building? I'm mostly on Twitter. You can find me at Lacey K. Lonnie, but follow Meta Intro. Meta Intro, we have a daily newsletter that goes out. Our TikTok is popping. YouTube is great. Twitter, of course, and Discord if you are looking for a Web3 job. We have about 4,000 jobs posted in our community a month, which is incredible given the bear market. And we do lives every Wednesday. Hop into our ecosystem. You can find us, metaintro.com, and you'll see what I'm talking about metaintro.com yes oh we love it thank you so much again Lacey it has been so so awesome oh thank you for having me I really appreciate it and looking forward to being able to listen to future episodes we appreciate that and for everyone else listening we will end with that Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. Remember, Peers, we're here to help you turn your passion into a business. And so is Shopify. And so if you're looking to start your biz, head to shopify.com.au for your 14-day free trial. Peers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, and leave us a review. We produce with passion, and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst 
your peers. 